Let's open our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 14, where Paul read for us earlier. Jeremiah chapter 14. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine. But I gave you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and a deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets, who prophesy in my name, and whom I did not send, and who say, sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. And to the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword. They will have no one to bury them, them nor their wives or sons or their daughters, for I will pour their wickedness on them. Therefore, you shall say this word to them. Let my eyes flow with tears night and day. Let them not cease, for the virgin daughter of my people has broken with a mighty stroke with a very severe blow. If I go to the field, then behold those slain with the sword, and I enter the city, then behold those sick from the famine, yes, both prophet and priest, go about in the land that they do not know. Let me just give you the uh, background here from where we were last Sunday, because what's happened up to this point, Jeremiah has been prophesying during the time of a very good king whose name was Josiah. And um, he was the one who, who found the scriptures when they did a building project on the temple. Uh, Josiah and Jeremiah were buddies, and they were of one heart and one mind. Uh, however, I don't know who picked the fight, whether it was Josiah or the king of Egypt, but they clashed in a place called Megiddo, which is a place that we visit every time we go to Israel. And we actually go to Megiddo. It still exists. It's called the Crossroads of the Middle East. And um, it's there to this day. But it's at this place that Josiah died. And this was really the beginning of the plunge downward and the swift, uh, this terrible section here, where just like Noah, had one message. Now, the thing I think and like about Noah is that he had one message for 120 years, and it was just that judgment is coming. Nobody liked it. Nobody responded to it. And yet, the Bible says that he was faithful in his generation. Now, if as a believers, you lived your whole Christian life, and let's say you had a message that Jeremiah had, and you didn't have one person believe in you, he had no converts whatsoever, yet the Bible still says he was faithful. Same with Jeremiah. Jeremiah had one message to his nation. It was not going to be changed. Yes, there were other prophets that we just read here this morning. And uh, Jeremiah's intercession says, Lord, there's guys out there that saying, peace, everything's going to be fine, don't worry about a thing. And yet he had no converts, no one believed in him. They hated him. Um, But yet also, um, the Lord encourages him 
to speak his word. And it doesn't, in his opinion, he was saying, don't worry about the false prophets. Don't worry about the people. But you be faithful to the words that I put in your mouth. Good place for an amen. So he's just doing his job, okay? There's going to be places that I'm going to this morning where I'm just going to be doing my job because I, if I have to warn about modern-day false prophets, I can't warn you without naming names. And so we're going to go there. Believe me, I have something to offend everybody this morning. Okay? So not only did the people not believe in him, but again, we had these false prophets telling the people just the opposite of what Jeremiah was saying. I want to turn to chapter 23 and and, uh, add a little bit more to this. It's a continuing theme through the book of Jeremiah. I realize it's repetitive, um, but it is a message of the book of Jeremiah. In chapter 23, verse 16, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, uh, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, and I have this underlined, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the imagination of his own heart, no evil is going to come upon you. Sounds seeker sensitive to me. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. I also have this next line underlined. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they run. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words. Now, the criteria, Jeremiah is a true prophet. And the test of a prophet in the Old Testament is laid out for us in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18. And I'm going to have you turn back to that at this time, give you a little moment to say it. And I want to talk about this in two sections. Because, again, Jesus said the volume of the book that we're studying this morning is all about him, even in Deuteronomy. So what was the standard, the criteria? Well, Jeremiah said they were going to go into captivity for 70 years. Well, bottom line, either they do or they don't. And at 70 years, yes or no. Looking back at history, we can judge that Jeremiah was a true prophet, for indeed they went into captivity for exactly 70 years. And chapter 18, verses 18 and 19, is not about a false prophet, but it's actually a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I will raise up for them a prophet, verse 18, from whom is among their brethren, and he will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him, and it shall be whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, then I'm going to require it of him. 
Now, in my um, column, I have Acts 3, verse 23, which is, again, one of the things, gang, as we go through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is, again, you see the connection, the places that were, this is a prophecy that's going to be quoted um, in Acts 3, and I'll quote it, verse 22 and 23. For Moses truly said to the fathers, Deuteronomy, of course, is part of the first five books of Moses. Uh, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you will hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet will be utterly destroyed from among the people. So this is a prophecy, the first two. But then we switch gears when we read 20 through 22. The Lord is the one who established the litmus test, if you would, of what determines a false prophet from a true prophet. Verse 20. But the prophet, so it's in comparison, Jesus only said those things that were true and came to pass. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of some other God, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken. Well, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or it does not come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, and you're not to be afraid of him. So what's the test? If he says it and it doesn't come to pass, then he's a false prophet. What was the penalty? Death. That, that person shall not live. So what was happening, uh, this was a criteria uh, in, in the Old Testament for a false, a false prophet. But now let's fast forward, and we have to ask the question, um, do prophets exist today? Uh, in New Testament times, for that we need to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12 is basically 12, 13, and 14, and the Corinthian church is really messed up. (laughs) And yet they were operating in all the gifts of the Spirit. And so it actually begins, um, chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Well, I don't want you to be ignorant of what the Old Testament prophet standards were, And what the New Testament standards? And the first question is, are there true prophets of God today? So this whole chapter is about spiritual gifts. Paul gets into the whole dialogue that I'm not any more more important than anybody else because we read here the I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. You all are important parts and you need to recognize that you have gifts and uh, that you're to exercise your gifts And as far as um, um, prophets and apostles, we need to go to verses 28, where it says, now God has appointed these in the church first. So in in one sense, there is a priority of importance, but in another sense, we, we should never take the attitude that I'm more important than you. Matter of fact, the Lord teaches just the opposite. Um, Deny yourself and consider others more highly than your own self. 
But in verse 28, God has appointed these first in the church, apostles. Now, my, and I won't be dogmatic about this, I personally believe that the criteria of um, apostles was that you had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When, the, when Judas was um, uh, killed himself, uh, Peter took it upon himself to cast lots and they picked a guy. But he had to be somebody, that, the criteria was he had to be an eyewitness. Um, I believe there were 12 apostles. When you go to the book of Revelation, you're seeing the new Jerusalem. It says uh, there was 12 gates and 12 walls, uh, 12 names of the tribes of Israel, and 12 names for the disciples, the apostles. I believe they were only for those who were eyewitnesses. But then it gets into prophets and second prophets. Now I know there's prophets because I'm going to give you an example in just a bit. Third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. Then the hypothetical question. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gift of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the best gift, and now I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Now, between chapters 12 and um, 14, you have chapter 13. Between um, this, we have the love chapter. And Paul says, you know, he, he uses the illustration, though I have all these gifts, but if I'm not moved because of my love for Jesus Christ and his love for me, then he says, I'm, I'm wasting my time. I'm nothing more than a clanging bell and a, and, um, uh, a clanging cymbal. I'm making a lot of noise. He says it has to be rooted in love. And in all of chapter 14 is the exercise primarily of the gift, the use correctly and the misuse of tongues, but it does get into the area of when somebody would prophesy. So let me draw your attention to the guidelines we have in the New Testament for those who legitimately are called uh, to a prophetic ministry and have the gift of a prophet. Well, let me just give you an example. I'll quote one. Acts 21, um, Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. And in verse 10, it says, He stayed many days. There was a certain prophet named Agabus who came down from Judah. And he had come to us. He took Paul's belt and he bound his hands and his feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, or thus says the Lord. Now he's speaking as a prophet. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when he heard these things, both we and those from that place, we pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Paul, don't do it. This is what's going to happen. And Paul says, why do you guys do that? Why do you break my heart and make me weep? I'm ready for this. I'm ready to be bound I'm I'm ready to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when they could not persuade him, uh, they ceased saying, okay, the Lord's will be done. And after those days, we packed up, he packed up and went to Jerusalem, knowing full well what he's getting himself into. How? Prophecy, a prophet. 
And it was a true prophet, and his name is Agabus. Are there New Testament prophets? Well, there was here. And um, then we read uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29, if there is a prophecy by a prophet, then here's the judgment of how it's to be judged New Testament. Verse 29 says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. So you just couldn't give a prophecy without having um, others there say, yeah, that's from the Lord. Or others would say, no, that's not of the Lord. So if a prophecy was given, it could only be two or three, and then it had to be judged by those that were there. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and may be encouraged And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now, this is important today. This verse here needs to be applied with all the shenanigans we see in some hyper-charismatic circles. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What does that mean? It means uh, that you can't say, well, I just couldn't control myself and I began to bark hysterically and laugh. The Holy Spirit made me do it. That goes against what the Word of God teaches. That spirit can be controlled. You can exercise it or choose not to. You have authority over it. That's exactly what's being said. So whenever you hear somebody say, I just couldn't control myself from falling down. It just just happened. That's not biblical. The spirit is subject to the person. And um, that's the biblical correct way when people talk about this. For God is not the author of confusion, um, but of peace as in all the churches and the saints. And the bottom line in verse 40 is let all things be done decently and in order. So the criteria here is the question that now comes up. Is this a biblical issue that we should be concerned with? Well, let's see what God's word says about it for itself rather than me giving you my opinion. Robert stole some of my verses this morning. But let's go to Matthew chapter 7, because he quoted that. We happened to be in men's prayer yesterday, and I snuck it in. It wasn't in my notes, Um, but we were reading through Matthew. And in Matthew 7, beginning with verse 15, Robert did a, um, a very good job, and we talked about exactly what he said in men's prayer yesterday. There is judge not that ye be not judged. Well, there's... Um, other scriptures that clearly say that the spiritual man judges everything. So one is a condemnation type judgment when you don't know your brother's heart and you shouldn't be doing it. But then there's doctrinal issues that we have to say this is right and this is wrong as we judge it to scripture. All right, a good application here is verse 15 through 20. He says, beware of false prophets. Well, they'll come to you in cheap clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. In other words, they look pretty good on the outside, but they got a hidden agenda. They have a motive. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree, well, it bears good fruit, but a bad tree, bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. How many times have you heard the expression that we are fruit inspectors, right? So when somebody is teaching a doctrine or um, he, you can see right through him that he's got an alternative to get in your pocketbook some way and you see that, well, what you do, you're actually judging the fruit. I, I see what you're doing. Um, I remember, this is not part of my notes, but um, um, this was Lowell Lumster many years ago, many, many years ago, came to do a crusade here. And the thing is, a lot of people get saved at Lowell Lundstrom's crusades, but we were having a meal ahead of time. And um, I've only heard about these, this sort of shenanigans happening, but right before the end of this thing, um, he says, well, I just got a word from the Lord. Um, there are 50 people here in the audience that are supposed to give $100. And I want, I want to see your hands now. You know the Lord is speaking to you, and he wouldn't let him go until he had those hands up. And he says, well, now, now there's people sitting here that the Lord has told me that there's 20 people that are going to give $500. So you know who you are, and we'll just wait on the Lord now for this, this to happen. And then it got to the point, and we got to the $1,000 level. Well, there's only 10 that had to be, come up with that. Well, I was up and out, because as much as you can rationalize that people are going to come to Christ through this, that's fruit inspecting. And what he's doing is saying something that the Lord was clearly not saying. And um, these men of faith, what thing that always bothers me about these prosperity teachers, tithe your 10% to me and you'll get a hundredfold back. And my question to them is, who are you, who are you tithing to? <laughs> and why isn't it coming back to you? And so, you know, we are to judge by their fruits. And um, let's turn to Matthew 24. In Jeremiah 23, interesting verse that it says, in the last days you will understand it perfectly. What perfectly? False prophets in the last days. Matthew 24 is an answer to a question Lord, what's it going to be like in the last days? Now, four times, and the very first thing he says in verse four is, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and deceive many. Now, that's verse five. Go to verse 11. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Go to verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show what? Great signs and wonders and do Um, um, the supernatural well that's what Jesus said therein lies the deception Peter in 2nd Peter 2 verse 1 says but there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be future tense false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the Lord who, who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. So the question is, is this something that we should discuss? Is this a biblical issue that we should be concerned with? The Lord clearly says yes, and he's especially made it clear in light of the last days. 
Second Peter 2, 2 goes on to say, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of the truth will be blasphemed by covetousness. All right, here's their motive. Not love of Christ, but covetousness. They will exploit you with deceptive words. And for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So clearly we are to warn of false prophets and teachers in these days. So the first thing I want to do is because this is where we get into the naming names business is Mary wrote in one of her contender series, The Perfect Storm of Apostasy, and it's primarily about the Kansas City prophets and the movement that came out of Kansas City. But I think I'll set this up um, sort of in a lighthearted way. It's, if it wasn't so sad, it would be lighthearted. Every year, Pat Robertson um, explains during a political year who the next president is going to be. And he does this every year. And so we went online. We wanted to know who he picked for this year. Would it be Bill? Um, I, I get Bill and Hill, but they're one and the same, so... <laughs> They come together, gang. What can I say? Um, or Mr. Trump. Well, Pat Robertson prophesied about this next president. It's going to be Ben Carson. So what do I do with that? Well, he prophesied in the name of the Lord and said it was going to be Ben, ben Carson. So I have to say, Pat, as much good as you do. And here, here's, here's where the heart takes over over Scripture. Yeah, but he gives so much money to Samaritan's Purse. Yeah, he has this organization, Blessed Hope, where he helps so many people. Is that fine and good? Absolutely. Should we be doing it? Absolutely. But having said that, we can't let my emotion, and this is where the social gospel is so damaging and hurtful, because it's replacing, you need to repent, give your life to Jesus Christ, pick up your cross and follow him. That's the real gospel, it's being replaced with just going around doing good works and good deeds. And you can't have that. You have to stand up against that as Peter did, as Paul did. Here's one video, um, and it's a minute and a half long. Some of the stuff that Perry Stone talks about is spot on. But he calls himself a prophet. And I'm just going to give you a minute's worth of him, and then I'll go my, through my list of others. So, okay, go ahead and roll the tape. YouTube. I'm going to break this uh, bread and give you a piece of it here, and you can do this at home as well. And I have a piece, and I have a cup, and I want you to go through the procedure of what you do and how, how people should pray, or you feel the Lord has given you that they should pray when they receive it. Okay, We're, we have talked about the three parts of the atonement. Someday we may talk about the other parts. Right. But when you sit down to take communion, you should be spiritually healed, mentally healed, and physically healed. So, what I do, I say, Father, I thank you for this unleavened bread yes, Lord. as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ yes. that took my sins, Jesus. my cares, my worries, and my sicknesses and diseases. Yes. And now, Father, I receive total healing in my spirit, Praise soul, God. mind, and body in every organ, every cell, and every function. And I give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it. In Jesus' name. Bless your name. Bless your name. Hmm. Bless your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. The scripture says that 
the life of the flesh is in the blood. You just ate the body of Christ. You're holding the blood of Christ. When you drink that, it brings to life mm. the body of Christ <laughs> that you just partook of. The scripture says it's the spirit that quickeneth the flesh. Mm. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you. we thank you for this representation of the blood of Jesus. We realize that we're holding the most powerful substance in the universe. It's more powerful than all the atomic bombs, all the bombs that's ever gone off because all they can do is destroy life. But what we're holding in our hand is the only thing that can create life eternally. Jesus, we thank you for shedding your blood at Calvary. We now receive your blood and a new infilling of your life and your spirit in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Perry Stone, by his own words, declares himself to be a prophet. All you have to do is Google his name and prophet. He states over and over again where he is. Part of what he just said was true. Part of what he said was full of Roman Catholicism view of taking communion. What only needed to be said is, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Nothing more, nothing less. That was what communion, according to 1 Corinthians 11, is all about. All right. The, the, there's a, a movement called the NAR, which is um, the New Apostolic Reformation. And I'll get into that in just a little bit, but let me just go through a list of those that are out there, sort of the mainliners, Mike Bickle from Kansas City, Paul Kane, Rick, Rick Joyner. Bob Jones was a part of the group, but he's dead now. Paul Kane might even be gone. Uh, Lou Engel, he was the guy responsible for this big get-together that Greg Laurie promoted, Azusa, which was very heavily uh, influenced with, uh, with uh, Roman Catholicism. There's Rodney Howard Brown, um, the Holy Spirit bartender, um, overemphasis uh, where you get so filled with the Spirit that you have to, uh, <laughs> you have to call a taxi to take you home because you are intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. And again, the, the, the spirit is subject to the prophet. And so that's Rodney Howard Brown, Bill Johnson, Cindy Jacobs, Patricia King. The next three I'm going to list are some of the main leaders in uh, the New Apostolic Reformation. They are Chuck Pierce, Dutch Sheets, and probably the best well-known is C. Peter Wagner. What is the NAR? The NAR is a new apostolic reformation. The people who are a part of this movement, uh, they follow present-day apostles and prophets who claim to govern the church and give new divine revelation, that's adding to the word of God, that is needed to set up God's kingdom on earth. So in other words, they would be considered, in my view, what we call uh, dominionism or kingdom now theology that eventually, through this new apostolic reformation, the church will come, finally get us act together, and then the Lord can come and establish his kingdom, which is completely the opposite of what Jesus said would be in the last days. All right, we could go on and talk about false prophets forever, but I want to add a third category here this morning. Not only false prophets, but false teachers. And uh, how can you discern a false teacher, um, well, 
if they're adding to or if they're taking away from the word of God. Now, this is a big deal to the Lord. I want you to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 22. Revelation 22. And while you're turning, this is how the Bible actually ends. Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. It can be applied just to the book of Revelation, but let me remind you that what is not in red letters, Bob quoted for us this morning, is 2 Timothy 3.16. What does that say? All scripture, how much is all? All, what does that mean in the Greek? All. All means all, okay? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What is that telling me? That if you know and study the word of God, it'll have directions and answers for every aspect of your life. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? That's what it's saying. Now, let's say um, Robert's, I've, I've been wanting for months for Robert to come up and um, talk about red-letter Christians. And um, I asked him to, to do so this morning. And um, as we see here in the last couple of verses, verse 18 of chapter 22, here the Lord is saying, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, all right, uh, the new apostolic reformation has words from God that are adding to scriptures. Well, we'll add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Now, if anybody would take away, now we're talking red-letter Christianity. If anybody takes away from the words of this book, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and the things which are written in the book. So the Lord has strong words to say about red-letter Christians. Um, One of my jobs as a pastor is to warn the flock against wolves or people that would try to make merchandise of you. Therefore, it's one of the reasons we have to name names. As Bob said correctly, the main two figures of this um, is, is Tony Campalo, but also Shane Claiborne, Brian McLaren, uh, Jim Wallace, as you mentioned, uh, Bill Heibel's wife, Lynn, and locally, Bob Lenz, Life Promotion, writes for them. And so we have our own local, very well-known person in the community, especially with Life Fest going on. At this point, some are thinking, oh, Dwight, you're so critical. And they're just adding a little here, and they're just taking away a little there. Why make such a big deal out of it? Well, this is a simple glass of water here. Mm. Tastes pretty good, by the way. Tastes great. But this here is just a little jar of arsenic, okay? Nothing to it. Maybe add just one drop. One drop. Who wants to drink? Who wants to drink? I ain't going to drink it. What does the Bible say? A little leaven, just a little, leavens the whole lump. 
and a little leaven can permeate the whole church. And I can't think of a better example than having something pure. This is pure. But you take a little bit away, or you add just a little bit, and you can have a destructive heresy. And if, if they can add two or take two, why can't you? Um, if, if you want to endorse the homosexual lifestyle and gay marriage and everything that goes along with it in our society, then you've got to get rid of the black letters because that's where it's mentioned. And so we have um, what's being replaced, if you would turn with me to the book of uh, Colossians at this point. Colossians chapter 2. There's folks here um, that were involved with Life Fest. You had a good time. Um, one of my closest Calvary Chapel pastor friends, uh, his boy is Jeremy Camp. Jeremy's as solid as they get with the Lord. He was there. Randy Stonehill was there, a good friend of mine. And um, there were good men of God uh, there. But here's where the mixture comes in because they mix it in with many people who are um, simply motivational speakers and uh, women pastors. Uh, Laurel Bonker, uh, we had um, Kenneth Kazmir, who is the uh, psychiatric consultant for Life Fest. And um, so now we have psychology being a re- part of the course, even to be involved for the staff of Life Fest. If you're in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, this is what we're told. He says, Beware. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. Psychology, gang, is a teaching, Freudianism, um, that analyzes the human psyche and culture, and it determines and helps your. Uh, stability as a human being, and that's the job of a psychiatrist. According to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For if in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you're complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. Many other motivational speakers um, that were there. And then this morning, um, they had communion on the main uh, stage, but in another area, they had the, um, the head um, uh, Catholic head of the Green Bay Diocese uh, performing a Catholic Mass at the same time. What does that do? It causes confusion. It presents ecumenicalism, and it presents that we can all get along and we can all be together as one. And my answer to that is Jesus said, don't think that I've come to do that. I have not. I haven't come to bring peace. I haven't come to bring unity. I've come to bring the sword. Division. That in your own families, you're going to have those that are going to be nothing wrong with that. And those who know their Bible says there's a lot wrong with that. And there happens to be a lot of false teachers in our world today that need to be exposed. They need to be called out as wolves, just as... Um, the Lord himself did with the the scribes and the Pharisees. All right, the major false prophet that we need to 
begin to wind up with is in Revelation chapter 13, so let's go there. Revelation 13. When Jesus talked about um, would deceive with great signs and wonders, it's interesting to me in Matthew 24 that it's after he talks about the abomination of desolation. Now, just as John the Baptist was a true prophet of the, and the forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ, he was a true prophet. Matter of fact, Jesus said he was the greatest one that ever lived. And you know what? He never did one miracle. Not one. All he did was be the forerunner for the Lord, a voice. Well, so the false, so the Antichrist is going to have his own John the Baptist. And he's introduced to us here in Revelation chapter 13, picking it up in verse 11. This is the one who is going to be responsible for the mark of the beast. And we pick him up in verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth who had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. And he exercised all the authority of the first beast in the present and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performed great signs so that even he makes fire to come down from heaven. Well, Moses and Elijah were just doing that just a little bit earlier before the Antichrist had him killed. So he's duplicating these wonders. And then it says, he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those things which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who's wounded by the sword and lived. And he was granted to give breath to the image of the beast. Now this is what the false prophet is doing. That the image of the beast would both speak and cause as many that would not worship the, the, the beast to be killed. Now, John the Baptist was known for um, his anointing of Elijah being upon him. But uh, he never says, unless you, <laughs> unless you don't follow Jesus, I'm going to take your head off. Well, this false prophet does. He says, if you don't worship the beast, then you're going to be killed. And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on the right hand or their forehead. And you can't buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for his number of the man, and his number is 666. Whatever happens to this guy? I'm glad you asked that question this morning. Let's find out. Revelation 19. It's what's going to happen to all false prophets, all those that teach from this word or speak in the name of a prophet. The Bible says I'm going to be held more accountable than you because I'm teaching from this pulpit right here this morning. But what happens to them in chapter 19, verse 19, it tells us that I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, and the armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse against his army. This would be the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it says the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs and received 
and he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped the image. These two were cast alive into uh, the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Uh, Then the rest were killed with the sword that proceeded from the mouth. And notice this verse and how it's going to tie together with Jeremiah. And it says, and the birds were filled with their flesh. But the fate of the false prophet and the Antichrist straight into the lake of fire. Our last verse this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah. Back to our text, chapter 14, but I want to read one verse from Jeremiah 15, and that verse is 3. As we make our way through the scriptures, here's Jeremiah. Not a good thing to say. He didn't leave anybody going home happy that day. He's pouring his heart out and saying, Lord, I'm telling him one thing, and the other prophets are saying just the opposite. And the Lord is basically saying, I'll take care of them. So in chapter 15, verse 3, here's their outcome. And I will appoint over them four forms of destruction, says the Lord, the sword to slay, the dogs to drag, and then, interesting, the birds of the heaven and the beast, the same outcome of the false prophet in Revelation is the same guys that were speaking falsely in the name of the Lord, saying, Lord, the Lord said, I'm going to take care of them, and the birds are going to eat their flesh also. The last verse, if you don't think this is pertinent for the times in which we live, is go back to Jeremiah 23, and let's just see if we have a better understanding. Here, the Bible tells us, in verse 20, that the anger of the Lord will not turn back until he executes and performs the thoughts of his heart. And then he throws us in. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. Why do you suppose the Lord would tell us that? Because we are inundated with false Christs, false prophets. Lord Maitreya is still in a scene declaring himself to be Christ. His John the Baptist is Benjamin Cream. And he's promoting him. He says he's just about ready to reveal himself as a Christ. Well, my question as you go out today, in the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. Simple question. Do you? Well, that's a yes or a no. <laughs> Do you understand it better than when we started our study? Can we say amen to that? Let's stand up and we'll close in prayer. Lord, there's nothing warm and fuzzy about Jeremiah's complaint. And sometimes, as we go through the scriptures again, if we're going to do it chapter by chapter and verse by verse, we can't dodge the tough stuff. And when it comes to the place that we have to expose false teachers and false prophets, you're the one who told us that we need to judge them. And when their prophecies don't come to pass, then we're to mark them as false prophets and not to have anything to do with them. So how grateful we are, Lord, that just as you warned the disciples when they asked you, what's it going to be like? The very first thing you said, look out. There's going to be false teachers, false prophets, and false Christs. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough um, to give us a heads up on what to look out for, what to endorse, what not to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.